My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Hear that weird noise that my throat made? I think there's a little gnome inside your throat trying to fight his way out. Alien style. Or you've got um, guinea worms. Don't be gross. <laughs> gross, no. No. So, um... First of all, how are you? I haven't fine. seen you much lately. It's yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we live together. We worked together yeah. constantly, literally 23 out of 24 hours a day. Which people didn't understand how it was possible that, that we spent as much time together as we did, and, and yet we still liked each other. <laughs> <laughs> I think the secret to our success as far as being able to live together and be together mm. so many hours out of the day and not kill each other is that uh, we go out of our way to find interesting things to entertain each other. Yeah. Even Hence in public. Hence this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hence this podcast. No, yeah. Even in public. That's, I mean, the first, the, I think the first time that I had this idea, like you were a thing that I wanted to like get in on. Yeah. Um, you know, was was one of those times. It was when we were at the the sports arena and and you ordered that drink and it made me laugh. Oh yeah, we had been entertaining our each other earlier in the day with a list of euphemisms for body parts. Yeah. <laughs> and so I uh I went up to the bar with you. This is our first date and and I ordered a rusty sheriff's badge. And the guy's like, well, um, let me see if I can find out what that is. So now it's like an ongoing thing. Every time we go to the bar, I'll order something like, uh, yeah, can you get me a birth cannon and don't skimp on the ice? Uh, you should see the look on the bartender's face when you order a bum fiddle. 
And then and then there's Cat. We're we're at one of those major box super stores where they sell everything from sporting goods to groceries. Mm. You don't want me to say the name because you don't like to shop there and we were forced to because of a certain product that we needed to get. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Cat walked up to the sporting good counter and plopped down a giant box of tampons and then asked to see their ammo selection because you were, quote, feeling shooty. (laughs) 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 So that's the secret to our relationship success. Yeah. Embarrassing each other in public. It's kind of what we do. Well, it's our thing. Neither of us embarrass easily. So I think it's become a fun challenge. Curator at theboxofoddities.com. Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Of course, social media. You can send us messages anytime. We love getting messages. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Goodreads. Uh, That's it. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I go first this week. Imagine living in, say, like the late 1800s. And mm, I don't like it. You don't like it already? Uh, yeah, it's going to be dark. Imagine, I don't know, not feeling well, going to bed, Mm. and then waking up and it's pitch black, and you find that you can't, you can't move, you can't move around. You're you you're restricted, and the air is really stuffy, and it and it smells like a freshly tilled garden. And then you realize, in horror, that you've been buried alive. Premature burials were a thing, quite. A common thing into the early decades of the 20th century. Yeah, we we touched upon this very briefly uh, a little while ago. Um, and may I just interject by saying, <sighs> yeah, yeah, you have a real thing. Well, you you tend to be a little claustrophobic. I am. I am <laughs> a little. A little. You've helped me get necklaces off before as I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. One time she got trapped in a sweater. I almost had to call a grief counselor. It's true. I have some claustrophobia issues. Or as my therapist says, control issues. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Here's an article from a uh, Dayton, Ohio newspaper from the late 1800s. The title is, The Opening of the Coffin Discovers the Frightful Sight, An Awful Struggle for Life. A sensation has been created here by the discovery of the fact that Mrs. Hockwalt a young woman of high society connections was supposed to have died suddenly January 10th. The horrible truth was discovered a few days ago, and since then it's been the talk of the city. The circumstances of Miss Hockwalt's death were peculiar. It occurred the morning of the marriage of her brother to Miss Emma Schwind at Emmanuel's church. Shortly before 8 o'clock, the young lady was dressing for the nuptials and had gone into the kitchen. A few moments after, she was found sitting on a chair with her head leaning against the wall and apparently lifeless. Medical aid was summoned. Dr. Jewett, after examination, pronounced her dead. Mass was being read at the time in Emanuel Church, and it was proposed to postpone the wedding, but Father Hain thought best to continue, and the wedding was uh, consummated in the gloom by low mass. No. Yeah, they still went ahead, and uh, yeah. That's a horrible idea. An examination showed that uh, Anna, which was her first name, was of excitable temperament, nervous and afflicted with sympathetic palpitation of the heart. Dr. Jewett thought this was the cause of death. The following day, the girl was interred in Woodland Cemetery. The friends of Miss Hockwalt 
were unable to forget the terrible impression, and several ladies observed that her ears bore a remarkable natural color and could not dispel the idea that she was, in fact, not dead. They conveyed their opinion to Anna's parents, and the thought preyed upon them so that uh, the body was taken from the grave. Quote, It is stated that when the coffin was opened, it was discovered that the supposed inanimate body had turned upon its right side, the hair in its head had been torn out in handfuls, and the flesh on the fingers had been bitten to the bone. The body was reinterred, and efforts made to conceal the case, but there are those who state that they saw the body and know the truth of the facts herein narrated. That's horrifying. Yeah, that's my my absolute worst nightmare. A second case was reported in American Weekly uh, in 1930. It was called Safeguards Against Being Buried Alive. Quote, one of the most pathetic cases is that of Mrs. Catherine Boger of Morrison's near Whitehaven, Pennsylvania. A year after her marriage in 1892, Mrs. Boger was taken ill and, quote, died. Dr. James Willard, the family physician, made several tests to make sure that the death had taken place and Mrs. Boger was buried. Sometime afterwards, a friend informed Boger that his wife had been subject to periodic hysteria and suggested that she might have been buried alive. This thought haunted Mr. Boger until he became practically insane, and to pacify him, it was arranged that the grave should be reopened. To the shock of Boger's friends, his fears were proved to be correct. The woman had been buried alive, the body was turned face downward, the glass lid on the coffin was broken. Back in those days, they would often have like a little glass viewing panel over mm-hmm. the face. Sure. It was kind of a Victorian thing. So that you could peer into the coffin, but the smells wouldn't come out? Right. That's exactly right. And oftentimes, in the coffin, they would have a bed of, like, charcoal Mm. uh, that they would lay the body on to absorb any... To collect the juices. Right, exactly. And to deodorize. The burial robes that she had been wearing were torn to shreds. Bruises and gashes in the woman's flesh showed where she had torn herself apart in frenzy upon discovering her hopeless situation. That's... I... So what, she had just, like, fainted? What's up with these doctors? Are they real doctors? There were a lot of illnesses back then. They didn't really understand some of the symptoms. For example, in the 1800s, the city of Pikesville, Kentucky, was shaken with an unknown disease. Uh, This comes from Lisverse. Most tragic case was that of Octavia Smith Hatcher. Great name. After her infant son Jacob passed away in 1891, Octavia went into a bedridden depression where she gradually became very ill and slipped into a coma. On May 2nd of that same year, she was pronounced dead of unknown causes while still in her bed. Embalming, of course, not yet a practice at this point, at least, yeah. Well, it it was, but it wasn't a common practice. Octavia was buried very quickly in the local cemetery due to the sweltering heat Barely a week after her burial, many of the townspeople became stricken with the same debilitating illness and had fallen into a comatose state. The difference was that these people started waking up. Octavia's husband began to fear the worst and worried that he had prematurely buried his wife while she was still breathing. He procured an exhumation of her grave only to find that his worst fears were in fact true. The lining on the inside of the coffin had been scratched and torn to pieces. Octavia's nails were bloodied and broken. Her face was contorted with horrific fear. 
She had died in the ground after being buried alive. She was reburied. Her husband erected a lifelike monument over her gravesite. The monument still stands today. It was later speculated that the mysterious illness had been caused by a tsetse fly, an African insect that can cause a disease known as sleeping sickness. But they didn't know that was a thing then. It's just so tragic. And the the feelings of just the hardcore, heavy feelings that have got to come with that idea that you buried your spouse alive. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. If I buried you alive, I don't think I'd make it. It's called taphophobia, the fear of premature burial. It reached a fever pitch at the end of the 19th century and the earliest uh, or early part of the 20th century. No, I'd say I'm in a fever pitch right about now. <laughs> it's horrifying. That's why I want to be cremated. I would rather be uh, cremated uh, so so much earlier than you were supposed to yep. than to wake up in a coffin. Mm. Since, you know, embalming is a common practice, of course, it doesn't happen with quite the frequency that it did in the 1800s and early 1900s. According to Strange Remains, physicians of this era depended upon their senses to detect a pulse or respiration. So when patients had an illness like cholera that could mimic the stillness of death, there was always the possibility that somebody could be buried alive. And so people took great precautions during this time. This is one of my favorite things ever is when I learned about one of these precautions. The first things that started happening were special requests that were written into wills to make sure that they were, in fact, dead. Mrs. Brown, in her will from uh, July of 1912, said, If I shall die in England, I shall be buried with my parents in Kensal Green Cemetery in grave number 27,366. I expressly request that my executors take every precaution against my being buried alive. And for this purpose, I direct them to allow a full and sufficient time to elapse between my death and my funeral, and that my body be examined by experienced surgeons who shall see to it that my veins are opened before my body is committed to the grave. Good call. Not not my favorite thing, though. No. Next, go. A Baltimore physician's obituary stated that Dr. Charles F. Hauser died on Wednesday. In his will, he had stipulated that his heart would be cut out, viewed, and then restored to its place in the body, and then the body be cremated. That was in 1891. This is also a great plan. Still not the thing, though. Are you getting to the thing? I'm getting to the thing. Okay. The St. Paul Globe in September 25th, 1895, talks about a Mr. DeVoe who says he spent 12 years of his life and a fortune perfecting a grave signal that has been exhibited during the summer at Sea Branch Palace at Coney Island. The grave signal consists of a rod that runs down through a tube into the coffin, rests on the forehead of the interred. At uh, the slightest movement of the body, the rod flies up, a little banner comes out, and it uh, is supposed to alert people walking by that, uh, hey, there's somebody down here moving. It's kind of like one of those ice fishing flags. Sure. Only for dead guys. That was one of the first inventions. Trout, that... sunfish, pufferfish, salmon. Mm. I can't think of any yeah, okay. jokes. Yeah, it's all right. From there, the inventions got more elaborate. According to Atlas Obscura, patent number 81,437, issued in 1868, 
this particular invention was for a security coffin, which came with all the bells and whistles that uh, the not-quite-dead-yet could ever need. The design included a rope, a ladder, a bell. Wake up in the coffin, you ring the bell. Which ring is, the bell! Which is, uh, has been attached to a rope that you're holding. Yeah. Nobody around to uh, hear the bell? Try the ladder, which inventor Franz Vester imagined would allow a person to, quote, ascend from the grave. Now, how do you lift up the uh, heavy coffin lid? Johann Jacob Tulin had it covered. In 1907, his patent understood that the prematurely buried might be a little tired. You know, it's exhausting being dead. Mm, sure. And he incorporated easy open lids that the presumed dead person wouldn't have to struggle with for freedom. He designed this tailor-made self-reliant opening mechanism with the slightest bit of uh, exertion it would spring open it was a spring-loaded coffin door it doesn't make any sense because you it wasn't the door that was the problem right i mean it's the dirt that's been piled upon it i think this was more for like uh, above ground burial vaults all right i mean it's not a bell gail bedell's 1887 design came equipped with an air pipe that would be opened if there was movement in the coffin. It also featured an electric alarm apparatus, which emits an audible sound when the air pipe is engaged. His patent application noted that the air pipe could be made of uh, any kind of decorative material. Now, our fear of being trapped in an untimely burial plot isn't just a lingering 19th century fascination. No. As recently as 2013, designs mm. for coffins and instruments that claim to prevent premature burial have been submitted for patent approval. But there haven't been, like, cases, though, right? Well, yes, there have. No. According to the Daily Mail, a woman visiting a family tomb in Brazil had the shock of her life when a body emerged alive from a grave waving his arms around. Oh. The woman was at a cemetery in the suburb of Ferrez de Vasconcelos, Sao Paulo, when she heard faint noises and noticed earth moving in a grave close by. Quote, I was terrified to see a man who I thought was dead trying to get out of a grave. Oh. He had his head and his hands out, and he was moving his arms around, trying to get out. The first, the woman first ran away screaming, but returned, then called emergency services. Well, that was kind of her. Who, uh, who found a half-buried man in a, in, a, in a plot of verse. She claimed that when she called police, they didn't believe her. Well, no. Of course. Accused her of wasting their time and playing a joke. They kept questioning me, asking, are you serious? This is a joke, isn't it? Eventually, uh, unable to convince the authorities, she went to the cemetery office to plead with them to confirm the police that uh, her discovery was real. Now, this is not the same type of burial. It's believed that uh, what happened was the man was a former city hall worker, was involved in a fight in another part of the city where he was badly beaten by his attackers until he passed out, and then he was taken by his assailants to the cemetery and uh, buried in a shallow grave. Oh. And so he kind of came to and... Oh, I see. So, okay. a little bit different, but still pretty terrifying. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just picturing, like, the two dummies who had just beaten a man, and they're like, well, I guess, you know... If we dump him in the cemetery, no one will notice because the cemetery is not full of dead bodies. And I'm so clever. Which is how hoodlums talk. Yeah, obviously. In Sao Paulo. <laughs> Didn't you know? <laughs> From Discover Magazine, Sifo William Medchi in 1993, it's a 24-year-old South African man, declared dead following a traffic accident. Reasonably enough, 
He was taken to a mortuary, placed in a metal box. The only problem was he wasn't dead. He was just unconscious. But there he lay for two long days, two long nights, until he woke up. Until very he... thirsty, I imagine. <laughs> yes, he was very thirsty, needed a drink of water. He woke up uh, just enough to scream for help. The startled, to say the least, mortuary workers uh, set him free. He was, of course, delighted that he uh, he made his escape and that he wasn't dead. He was relieved that he had dodged a bullet. He raced home to tell his fiancée the good news. The result? Rejection. She thought he was a zombie. And he wasn't able, I guess, to talk her out of it. So she Like ever? Did ever, they break up? I guess. Oh, that's sad. But, I mean, that seems unreasonable. You can do better. What was his name? Wilman? Sifo Will- William Medchi. Melchi. It's a hard word to pronounce because it has a bunch of consonants back to back. Mark? M-D-L-E-T-S-H-E. Medlshi. Medlshi. I'm just going to call him Billy, if that's okay with you. There are actually a lot of cases of premature burial uh, that still happen today. Not so much the fault of, say, an undertaker or a mortician. It's more like in the line of uh, kidnapping victims and that sort of thing. I see. But it does still it does still happen from, from time to time. Like on that episode of Bones. Which one? The one where they were buried alive. Oh, that one. I love that one. I love both the Deschanel sisters. They are great. So when I go... Obviously, I've requested to be cremated. Mm-hmm. Before I'm cremated, I want you to stand me out in the shed with the weed whacker for about three days, just to make sure, because I don't want to be burned alive either. You want me to just stand when I'm hit dead? Hit you with the weed whacker? No, I stand, don't. Just stand me out in the shed where you store the tools. Oh, like okay, so yeah. just put yeah. you out with the weed whacker. Sure. I th- I don't know. I I couldn't imagine what you meant by you like you wanted me to weed whack you. I didn't get it. I, but I see where you're going now. Okay. You just you just yeah. want to be placed elsewhere for a period of time, yeah. so I don't yeah I just accidentally make, kill you. I want to make sure that uh, I'm a little ripe before I get put in a cardboard box and sure. burned. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's why wouldn't you want me to have to handle your slightly decomposed body? Well, that's what love is for. I thought that love was never having to say you're sorry. No, love is ordering your date a rusty sheriff's badge. (laughs) And now, that thing in the middle. That thing in the middle, this episode, it's not-so-great moments in presidential history. The LBJ version. He was a crusty guy, LBJ. Apparently a little crass. He did some things that uh, were... I guess, uncomfortable for people around him. Like when he was in the House of Representatives, he'd start the morning by just peeing outside in the parking lot. And then when somebody would, uh, you know, would see him do it, he would just turn around and flash his wang at him and say, I call this jumbo. Have you ever seen anything this big? Uh, Mr. President, that's that's sexual harassment. Yeah, and apparently there were a lot of female secretaries that uh, that witnessed this over the years. Yeah. He also allegedly had crude habits where he would, uh, according to one of his aides, scratch his ass, quote, deeply. Oh. He'd pick his nose, and then he'd drape his arm around you. He would fart during uh, hearings. Just let him rip. Oh, Lord. Oftentimes, he would interrupt a meeting and, and go into, you know to the bathroom and he would request that his aide come in with him and he'd sit Into there on the bathroom. Yeah. He would sit there on the toilet, just taking a dump, dictating to his hapless aide standing by thinking, oh, no. oh, good Lord. Why did I have to get into politics? When he was the president, he was at LBJ ranch in Texas 
and he asked Secret Service to pull over so he could relieve himself. According to one historian, uh, one Secret Service man was standing near him and felt warm water on his leg. He looked down and he said, Mr. President, you're urinating on me. And Johnson's response was, I know I am. It's my prerogative. Well, that's just rude. One time he was ordering pants. This is one of my favorite things ever. And we've got the audio of him ordering pants. This came from the presidential archive. This is real. This is not fake. This is LBJ ordering pants in his own crass style. Uh, Mr. Hager? Yes, Joe Hager. Uh, Joe, uh, uh, is your father the one that uh, makes uh, clothes? Yes, sir. We're all together. Uh, Y'all made me some real lightweight slacks uh, uh, that he just made up on his own sent to me three or four months ago. It's a kind of a light brown and a light green, rather soft green and soft brown. And they're real lightweight. Now, I need about six pairs for summer wear. I want them half an inch larger in the waist than they were before, except I want two or three inches of stuff left back in there so I can take them up. I vary 10 or 15 pounds a month, so uh, leave me at least two and a half, three inches in the back where I can let them out and take them up. The pockets, when you sit down in the chair, the knife and your money comes out, so I need it at least another inch in the pockets. Uh, yeah. Now, another thing, the crotch down where your nuts hang is always a little too tight. So when you make them up, give me a inch that I can let out there uh, because they cut me. It's just like riding a, a wire fence. To, when I gain a little weight, they cut me under there. So let's see if you can't leave me about an inch from the, where the zipper ends uh, down to, under my back of my bunghole so I can let it out there if I need to. Yeah, because you, you don't want pants riding up into your presidential bunghole. That's not good. Something about the way he speaks reminds me of my dad, but my dad would never pee on you. If you laid all our boxes of oddities end to end, you'd have, well, a lot of open boxes. You know, all laid end to end. This is the box of oddities. All right, my turn. Mm -hmm. Have you ever felt like you were not in complete control of your own destiny that in my bowels often <laughs> so okay have you ever felt like you are not in complete control of your body yes yes i have are you familiar with alien hand syndrome yes okay i am f- Fascinated by this. Alien hand syndrome is the feeling that one's hand is possessed by an outside force that is not within one's control. You can go to YouTube and you can see videos of people who suffer from this affliction. And this it, is not uh, phantom limb syndrome. No. Nope. Where, where somebody has a limb uh, amputated and they still feel the pain in that limb even nope. though it's gone. Nope. This is something entirely different. Yes, it's much more evil dead. The syndrome typically arises after trauma to the brain, like uh, brain surgery or after a stroke or an infection of the brain. A person with the alien hand syndrome can feel sensation in the affected hand, but thinks that the hand is not part of their body or that they have no control over its movements. 
And it essentially feels like it's it belongs to or is acting under the control of someone else. And doesn't always have your best intentions in mind from no. what I've heard. No, no, no. Its most famous um, portrayal was in Stanley Kubrick's 1964 masterpiece, Dr. Strangelove, which I think is hilarious because you're familiar with The Stranger. Yes. Which is where you sit on your hand for a long period of time until it goes numb mm-hmm. and then you masturbate. Right. Yeah. So I mean I've heard. <laughs> I'm I'm somewhat vaguely familiar with that concept. So strange love, stranger, yeah. alien hand. Uh, <clears throat> alien hand job. So the afflicted person may sometimes reach for objects to manipulate them without wanting to do so even to the point of having to use the hand they can control to restrain the alien hand. That is crazy. While under normal circumstances, though, as intent and action can be assumed to be um, deeply mutually entangled, the occurrence of alien hand syndrome can be usefully conceptualized as a phenomenon reflecting a functional, quote, disentanglement between thought and action. I just had a... A thought. Go. Do you think that President Johnson had alien hand syndrome and that's why he was always waving his wang around in the parking lot Maybe in the House he of Representatives? Had alien wang syndrome. What? Mm-hmm. That's a thing. I feel like I have alien wang syndrome. <laughs> um Oh, where was I? Okay. Alien hand syndrome is Uh, best documented and most often documented in the cases where a person has had two hemispheres of their brain surgically separated. Mm -hmm. And that is sometimes uh, happens because they need to relieve the symptoms of extreme cases of epilepsy or epileptic psychosis. It also sometimes occurs, as I mentioned, after brain surgery, stroke, infection, tumor, aneurysms, severe migraines have triggered alien hand syndrome. The hand movements are not spastic or convulsive. It's not like a tick. It's not like a, in the case of Tourette's or... Like a spasm or... Right. Yeah, right. It's um, purposeful and coordinated. Um Individuals who suffer from alien hand syndrome typically explain that the hand seems to be controlled by someone else. Normal movements such as picking up of objects, touching of the face, dressing or undressing are all characteristics of alien hand syndrome. I saw a documentary on this years ago where a guy couldn't stop punching himself in the face. Yeah. He just couldn't stop it. Yeah. There was uh, one of the videos that I watched was a woman who did not realize that she had alien hand syndrome until she had set up home security cameras in her home. And she was reviewing one of the videos and she saw herself doing things with her hand That she did not realize she had done or had been doing. That has got to be the creepiest feeling ever. And all of a sudden, it occurred to her that her sister had mentioned on several occasions, like, why are you doing that? What are you doing with that thing? You know, she had, her sister had mentioned it to her several times, but she just brushed it off because she wasn't doing anything. Right, right, right. And very often, those who do realize something's going on, Um, complain that these regular hand actions are unintentional, unwanted, unexpected, and sometimes unpleasant, Mm -hmm. like punching yourself in the face. So there are different 
ways that you can be afflicted with alien hand syndrome and those seem to align with the different ways that you might become afflicted with alien hand syndrome so the different parts of your brain that are affected um, by let's say a stroke might create a slightly different dare I say style of alien hand syndrome like it would it would create different symptoms or sort of yes Um, some Again, it's hard not to use the word style, but some styles of alien hand syndrome seem to be more destructive than others, seem to be more anti what the hand owner's brain wants. And so there are those that believe that alien hand syndrome um, in those cases is connected to a somewhat of a multiple personality disorder. Uh So again, it can come in so many different ways, varying from not terribly distressing or interfering with your normal life to the point where, you know, you cannot live a normal life because you're constantly punching yourself in the face. Yeah, or undressing yourself. Right. Or masturbating in public. There are those that um, deal with the what's called the frontal variant form of alien hand, and that patient has difficulty with voluntarily releasing objects from their grasp, so they may not notice that they've picked something up, but when they do, they can't let it go. They can't drop it. They have to take their other hand, peel back their fingers in order to let go of that object. That's amazing. And that reminded me of another video I saw. Um, I don't know if it was in the documentary or just a YouTube video that I I came across where a woman taking a knife out of a drawer Mm -hmm. against her will and she'd pull the knife out of her other hand or with her other hand and put it back in the drawer and the uh, alien hand would go back and grab the knife again and it was just this ongoing thing of her taking the knife and putting it back and taking the knife and putting it back. That's got to be terrifying. Absolutely. In some circumstances where they were recording the studies of alien hand syndrome, they would set the subject up with um, letter blocks and tell them to like spell out a word or create a shape with the letter box. One of their hands would be working toward that goal and the other hand would be purposefully flipping the blocks over or taking one of the blocks out and just kind of like putting it behind their back. Or, Or spelling fuck. Like that time that we were at one of those discount stores and they had all those uh, coffee mugs uh, with letters on it and we arranged them all so that they said poop. Remember that? (laughs) That was fun. That was maybe, we could have, if we'd gotten caught, we could have said it was alien hand syndrome. That's actually, uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because alien hand syndrome is so hard to verify because so often it goes hand in hand with certain mental disorders. And so if you have something else going on, is it your hand working independently against you? Or mentally, are you dealing with something else claiming that your hand is working against you hmm. when really it's just your you have a mental disorder? That is definitely, it's got to be like a, a, a gray area because you know, how, how? Yeah. How can you tell? Yeah. The first known case described in the medical literature appeared in a detailed case reported Germany in 1908 by a German neuropsychiatrist, Kurt Goldstein. And in this paper, he described a right-handed woman who had suffered a stroke affecting her left side from which she'd partially recovered by the time she was seen. But it appeared as though her left arm belonged to another person and performed actions that appeared to occur independent of her will. 
this would have been looked at as demonic possession or witchcraft. Right. Or um, they would have just put her in an asylum or something. But this doctor listened and uh, took note that the patient complained of feeling a strangeness in the relationship to the goal-directed movements of her hand and, and believed her, which is the only thing that would have made a difference in that point in her life. She could have been deemed insane. Right, right. Or... She could have been the first person on record to have alien hand syndrome. And so that's that to me is, I don't know, I, I almost feel emotional about it because her life could have been so completely different just because a doctor assumed something. She was a, a crazy woman. Right. Hysterical. Exactly. So in almost all of the cases of alien hand syndrome, patients retain the sense of feeling in the hand, but describe feelings of disassociation so that they, if they like looked at their hand and saw that it was doing something, they, they would know that it was their hand, but only kind of in the back of their head where. So there's like a disconnect. Yeah. Wow. It's almost as though it's someone else's hand. That is weird. Um, patients may also exhibit strange behaviors like speaking to the hand, which I get. I mean, that makes sense. Stop that. <laughs> um, or Tell it to the hand. Oh, no. That's what the kids say, right? Mm -mm. Claiming demonic possession or referring to the hand in the third person, which is pretty common. Interesting. One of the things that I, I learned in my research is that there is no cure for alien hand syndrome, which a lot of times I forget that there are things like, I mean, I, I suppose I live an incredibly fortunate life that I can forget that things aren't curable mm. um, because it's 2018 right? and I am, you know, incredibly blessed. And so I have the ability to live in such a world that I've never considered that alien hand syndrome isn't curable, but it's not. And people live their entire lives dealing with this. There are, however, ways that you can reduce the symptoms and manage uh, to some degree alien hand syndrome. For example, giving your hand a task, hmm. a pen to hold and click, or I guess uh, these days a fidget spinner what's it called yeah fidget spinner is that yeah okay yeah. yeah one of them things you can find those pretty much at any landfill nowadays <laughs> specific learned tasks can restore voluntary control of the hand to a significant degree so if you really work on focusing that what you're gonna do is just keep a pen in this hand and you're gonna click 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 this pen Every once in a while, you'll notice that you're not holding that pen anymore, and instead you're doing whatever. Oh but if you keep putting that pen back in that hand and you keep click, click, clicking, then your hand will learn that that's what it's supposed to be doing, which is so strange. Now, will the hand do things while the body is asleep? Yes. Shut right the heck up. There, um, there was a, an instance of a man who woke up when his hand was trying to strangle him. That's uh, disturbing. It's the most terrifying thing because not only are you being strangled and that's terrifying, but you don't understand what's happening. I mean, it's so hard to understand what's happening when you first wake up anyway, um, let alone your hand is trying to kill you. That, I don't even know where to begin 
to comprehend the layers of terrifying what that must feel like um in some cases they issue a cane to hold Ah. so uh, the person with the alien hand syndrome doesn't actually need a cane for anything but they teach the person to walk with a cane so that their hand is occupied could it could it be a jaunty walking stick oh it could absolutely be a jaunty walking stick sir I i want one of those that's gonna be my thing that and a pork pie hat I'm a pork pie hat man. (laughs) Other techniques that have worked for individuals include wedging the hand between the legs, slapping it, warm water application, which I have only seen uh, to induce urine during sleepovers. Again, maybe that's what LBJ was doing. Maybe. He was peeing on his hand and just got some on the Secret Service guy by mistake. I wonder if anybody ever meddled with his presidential erection. You just can't move past LBJ's wang. No, I can't. not many people could, apparently. He called it jumbo. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. You're blocking the aisle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's alien hand syndrome. That is amazingly fascinating. I'm going to be trying to find a book on that. There are a lot of videos on YouTube of people through the course of studies. And uh, some, it, it's fascinating, of course, but it's also terribly upsetting when you realize that, you know, these people are literally dealing with a part of their body that's working against them. That's horrifying. I feel like the world's working against me as it is at times. I don't need body parts in cahoots, if you know what I mean, if I'm not being too subtle. Theboxofoddities.com. Curator at theboxofoddities.com is our uh, email address. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Goodreads, and a new social media platform called Bum Fiddle. (laughs) (laughs) What is even a Bum Fiddle? I'm not sure, but it makes me laugh. It was on the list and it made me laugh. So, fiddle. A fiddle is like with thing and the bum. So, a no, that doesn't even make sense. Even like a flute would make more sense. Yeah, but bum fiddle is funnier than bum flute. Although you're right, it's certainly far more descriptive. LBJ was a bum fiddler. <laughs> that's, Digging deep. That's that's the word. So that's our show. Bye. So we'll see you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to to beseech you for assistance. The box of oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. 
Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.